Each step I take, my Savior goes before me, and with his loving hand, he leads the way. And with each breath, I whisper, I adore thee. Oh, what joy to walk with him each day. Each step I take, I know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you and praise you, Father, for your creation. We praise you, Father, for your infinite love and for your infinite mercy and grace. We thank you, Father, especially for your Son. We know that it's only through him that we can have salvation and forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for your word and we pray, Father, that we would spend as much time as we can in it, that we would grow in faith through it, that we grow in strength through it. We also pray, Father, that uh, you would be with all those that are sick and ill and on our prayer list, Father. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would bring healing to them. Pray that you would comfort their families. Pray that you'd be with those that are traveling. Uh, pray that you keep them safe and bring them back to us. Be with us this evening as we continue in worship to you and that we would do it. Father, glorifying you and worshiping you for all that you are, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> Poor Brett leads us in our communion. We'll sing Jesus Rose of Sharon. Jesus Rose of Sharon.
Our God and our Father, we're so thankful for this beautiful day that we've had. We're thankful for this quiet place that we have, this quiet time that we can come here and once again reflect upon the sacrifice that, that, that you supplied. We're thankful for, for all your planning throughout the years and we're thankful for Jesus that was willing to come. He was willing to, to lead a to, to, to lead a perfect life even though with all the temptations that he had. We're, we're thankful that, that he was able to remain the, the perfect and unblemished sacrifice for us. At this time, Father, we're, we're thankful for the, for the bread that we have. That's a, that's, that's a memory of, of his body. We pray that as we take this bread that we'll do so in a manner pleasing and acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Continuing in thanks, Father, we're, we're thankful for the blood. We're thankful for the power that's in the blood, that it's able to, to continue to wash away our sins. We're thankful that Jesus was willing to come and, and, and to shed his blood, for we know without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And we, we know that, that he was the perfect sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Continuing in thanks, Father, we're thankful for all the blessings that we have in this life. We're thankful for our homes, for our families, we're thankful for our, for our loved ones. We're thankful for this great nation that, that we live in, and, and we pray that you will continue to that you will continue to bless it. At this time, Father, we 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 pray that we can return a portion of what you've given to us, that, that the church here may continue to grow. And the church may continue to be a light here in Titusville. In Jesus' name, amen. Kind of in keeping with, I think he's going to go through Michelle, Azariah, and Hananiah tonight, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In their faith, we'll think about faith of our fathers. Faith of our fathers
All right, so we are in the book of Daniel, one of the more exciting books, in my opinion, in the whole and all of the scriptures. Um, one of the more complicated books in all of the scriptures as well. Remember where we left off uh, last week? We were past um, the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Remember the main players, because some of them are going to come back up again. Um, specifically, you had. Um, the four names that were called out from the nobility and from the royal family that were taken to Babylon to learn the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Those are important people. We're going we're gonna to see them keep coming up in the book of Daniel. Um, I also wanted to tell you, just in my general studies as I was prepping for a lesson that didn't come together yet, um, <clears throat> you know, Job, when he was having his issues, guess who came and robbed Job? It was the Chaldeans. Go look it up. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things with them. So keep paying attention to them. You're going to see them as a player again tonight. Um, and then tonight really is not about Daniel. Tonight is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, but before we go there, don't forget this too. Don't forget that we experienced a prophecy from the dream from Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he told no one, a pagan king, potentially the most powerful pagan king at the time and all of civilization at the time, a dream that he told no one, a dream that not only did Daniel say no man could interpret without knowing, but also the Chaldeans said not a single man. This could only be something that was done by the gods. And then not only does Daniel give him the dream, but then interprets the dream. And then we went through the history um, with maps to show you those countries in the order that they came in and the order that they took this area of Babylon um, and how that took almost 700 years. 700 years of prophecy explained in detail I still think is quite an amazing thing. And remember last week we also kind of ended with this um, statement that we as Christians, we have to have faith, but it's not blind faith. There's tons of reasons, real historical reasons, prophetic reasons to believe um, the scripture. It's not just something that feels right. It's something that is verifiable. And I think that's a very important part of the conversation of the book of Daniel. So I had one question that I never got to get to last week because it went a little longer than I wanted it to. Um, but I do want you to think about this. Before we move on, I want you to think about this. So you have the dream of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And you have the different kingdoms that come from that statue. And then you have that uncut stone that destroys the statue and then turns into a mountain that overshadows the earth. And the question I want you to really think about, because I think it's an interesting question, I'm not going to ever answer it for you. It's something you've got to think about yourself and come to your own conclusions on. I'm certainly not going to answer it from here. If you want to talk about it later one-on-one, -on -one, we can. But has that mountain, which I certainly believe, I think the obvious answer, right, is the stone is Jesus. And then from Jesus shattering the statue of Babylon, if you will, and all of the great kingdoms that come after that are of the um, same um, kind of, I, 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 um, they're very similar. We'll say it that way, right? Their religions are very similar. All of that stuff is very similar. When that gets destroyed by the rock, and the mountain comes and overshadows the earth. Is that the time that we live in now? Has that time ever even happened? Did that time happen in the past? Where did that happen? I think that's a very important thing to think about because the more and more I think about it myself, I will tell you this much, the more and more I think about it myself, the more and more I'm not 100% sure we have ever fully escaped the influence of Babylon, the influence of the Persians, the influence of the Greeks and the Romans, the influence of those people that worshiped all the foreign gods, did horrible things in the name of God, 
in worship to God, if you will, and in my opinion, in a lot of ways are still glamorized by our culture to this day. Again, I want to reference that in a way that says that's a tough thing to stay to say right now with the way the world is crazy. But I do think it might be, it just might be a reality. Something to consider. Okay, so in Daniel chapter 2, um, we're really going to be mostly in Daniel chapter 3 tonight, but I didn't want to go past this moment because this is that moment where Nebuchadnezzar has had his dream told to him, had his dream interpreted to him, and the dream is, um, it's not a terrible dream. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. I want you to pay attention because a, a lot of what we're going to go through tonight is a story that if you were raised in the church, you've known this story since you were a kid, probably. I mean, who doesn't know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Most people know. Most people know. If you don't know, that's not me calling you out. I'm just saying, we're going to focus on the little things that you might list, miss. The little things that you didn't learn at VBS. The little things that would not have been pointed out um, from those types of curriculums um, that you might have studied in the past. Okay, so... He pays homage to Daniel. Notice that first of all. Remember, Daniel told him that it would not be him that the interpretation would come from because he couldn't do it. Only God could give it to him. Remember, he went and prayed to God. God gave him the, the, what the dream was and the interpretation of the dream. But Nebuchadnezzar pays homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of an incense be offered up to who? To Daniel, not to God. Just remember these things. Remember... Paint the whole picture, pay attention to all the little details, because I think the details really give us some profound truths here. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God, remember this, see this for what it is, your God, your God, not my God yet, your God. Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. So why wouldn't it be his God? If he believes this about God, that he is the greatest of all gods, Why wouldn't he want it to be his God? Think about that. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors, many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. For those of you who um, see Babylon in red, I apologize. Some of you have said to me you have a hard time seeing red. This was actually in orange, but somehow through the formatting and all the different computers that got involved, it turned red. I don't know why that happens sometimes, but it does. So if you can't see that, I apologize. I try to make them in orange because I've never had anybody complain about that color. And, okay, sorry, just a little tidbit for you. So he makes him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. He, in this moment, he becomes in charge. Of who? Think about this. Of who? Okay. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon as well. And you're going to find out that, again, whose position did they take? Who was in charge of the affairs before? But Daniel remained at the king's court. Alright. So in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes an image of gold. Now, a lot of times in curriculum, this image that you see is very um, similar to this, as if the image was of himself. It doesn't say what the image was. In my opinion, it probably was not of himself. It was probably of a, of a foreign god. But you can, you can take it or leave it either way. I don't really um, care. But I wanted you to see that it doesn't actually ever say that he made an image of himself. He just makes a golden image a giant golden image, and he puts it out in the plains, and he tells all of his royal officials, all of his government officials, say, you're going to come to the plain, and we're going to have a conversation. And when he gets there, um, his, his announcer says, here's what's going to happen. And this is at the dedication of the statue. He says, at one point in time, there's going to be all this music, and he starts naming all these different instruments that are going to be used to make this music. At one point in time, there's going to be all this music, and when this music is played and you hear this music, you all are supposed to bow and worship this image. That's what you're supposed to do. So that's what's going to happen. 
All right, and this is exactly where it says it right here in verses 5 and 6. If you will notice really quickly, I skipped verse 7. You know what 7 says? And that's what they did. All right, go read it for yourself. It doesn't say exactly that's bigger than that, but that's why I skipped it. That's what they did. Therefore, at that time, except for who? Who didn't do it? Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Here they are again. Now, come on. Somebody's got to start being curious about who these guys are. Their name just keeps popping up. And it's interesting to me that um, as I'm studying Daniel and I'm looking at other scriptures for other lessons in other places in the Bible, guess whose name keeps popping up? Just like I said with Job. It's these guys. Who are they? And they tell King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, remember how you made this whole decree that when the music's played, everybody's supposed to bow and worship the image? Well, them Jews, they, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. But they didn't just say that. And again, pay attention to the particulars because I think it gives you a little bit more insight to the story and what's really going on here. Again, when, ba when Daniel gets promoted, who loses the position? Again, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get promoted, who loses the position? It wasn't a position that was made up. It was a position that was already there. Who lost it? You want to know my guess? The Chaldeans. Look what they say in their accusation. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. If you don't do it, this is what you said was going to happen. And he says, there are certain Jews, the Chaldeans are saying this to King Nebuchadnezzar, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Does that sound like um, just a random comment they're making? Or does that sound like um, they're zoned in because maybe it was their job that they took? Maybe it was their place of honor. After all, the Chaldeans are the ones that um, everybody that Babylon is taking over and bringing to the province of Babylon. They're being trained in their language and their literature. Well, if Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now in charge, maybe that changes everything. And maybe their literature and their language isn't, isn't what is being taught anymore. I don't know. But what I do know is, here's the Chaldeans, and this is specifically what they say. Don't miss this point. It's an important point. Something that can easily get lost in the details. You know, those people that took our place, that's how I read this, those people who took our place, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, notice he leaves Daniel out of this. Nobody wants to touch Daniel. Nobody wants to touch, after what Daniel did, nobody wants to touch Daniel. But these guys, they're just his buddies. They're not quite as significant as Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar yet. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And the scripture says Nebuchadnezzar was furious. So he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to question him. And he says, you know what I said? And you know what the consequence is if you don't do it. Did you really do that? And I don't know about you, but to me, the first line of their response is probably not the most diplomatic line, right? It's probably, the mo probably not the greatest thing to say to a king that's furious with you and ready to throw you in the fiery furnace. But look what the first line is that they say. They say, we don't have any need to answer you in this matter. We don't owe you a response. You imagine? You imagine? You're questioning your child about something they did the night before, and they go to you, I'm sorry, but I don't really have any answers for you. Um, we don't, it's really not your business. Probably not the greatest thing for a child to do to their parent. This response probably didn't start very well or sit very well with the king. But then they say this, and to me this is, I only, I, I, normally I would have highlighted all of this because this is very significant to me, but I wanted to highlight the things they specifically said that you really, the little things you need to pay attention to. It says, if this 
be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able. He's talking about being, they're talking about now being thrown into that fiery furnace. Our God, our God, not our God of gods, like Nebuchadnezzar said, our God, the only one true living God, all the rest is not gods at all, whom we serve is able, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Now that takes faith to say that to somebody knowing you're getting ready to go there. They already know they're getting ready to go there. Don't miss that. That's why I pointed out the first part of their response. It really doesn't matter what we say. And he will. Y'all catch that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they tell the king, not only is he able to, he's going to. He's going to. Now, do they know that for sure? Do they know what's about to happen? Can anybody with 100% certainty tell me that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew for certain that they were going to the fiery furnace and that God was going to save them from that fiery furnace? Or is this a statement of faith? He will, he is able, and he will. See, I don't think they're 100% certain, and this is why. Because they give a caveat. Verse 18, but if not. But if he doesn't. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. He's able to, and he will. But even if he doesn't, wow. You could make a whole sermon just on that. How many times in your life did you know God was able to, and you believed he would? but also have the attitude, but even if he doesn't, it's gonna be okay. And again, this isn't like, um, Lord, please give me the promotion, but even if you don't, I'm still gonna love you. This is life or death. This is as serious as it gets. Even if he doesn't, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. So, again, we skipped some scriptures, but here's what happens. Everybody, um, again, this is a popular part of the story. That's why I skipped it. But obviously, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's extremely upset. And he orders the furnace to be pumped pumped, and I, now I'm forgetting the number, but I believe it's seven times hotter than normal. To the point to where, by the time they send them up there, the furnace, if you will, it's overheating and it has not had a chance to, um, to calm down. And when they open the furnace, the guys who are pushing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, are consumed by the flames. They're killed. Before they ever got in, the guys who are pushing them in got killed. Now, think about this and slow down. You're King Nebuchadnezzar. You're sitting at a place where you have a view of the entire thing. You have issued an order and you are furious. You are watching intently. These people deserve death. After all, they didn't worship your image and they didn't listen to your rule. Who do they think they are? This is a good way to start a rebellion. We have to squash this rebellion. And the first thing you notice that might be changing the way you're thinking in that instant, in that moment, is the guys you sent to push them in get destroyed, but the guys who were in the front of the line make it into the furnace. Which is why I believe this next line, this is verse 24 is where we'll pick it back up. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He rose up in haste. So he sees what's happening in the moment and he's astonished and he's like, did you see that? 
And as he's looking in the furnace, this is what he says. He says, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said, King, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men. Now listen to what he's saying and make sense of this for me. He says, I see four men. They're, they went in bound, but they're not bound in the furnace. Some of you might think, well, you know, if you put them in ropes or chains and the furnace is that hot, maybe they already melted off. Okay, something's hot enough to melt, melt, the, melt the chains and burn the ropes, probably hot enough to melt you too. And this is another weird thing to me. He says, and they're walking in the midst of the fire. What in the world does that mean? One, how big is this furnace? Well, it's clearly big enough to throw three people into. But how big is it? They're just walking around in it. They're just having this moment. Now, I want to I say one thing, and this is way off topic, but I do, I, I, I have to say it. And, and, the re, and, and listen, you might not always agree with me, and that's okay. I'm 100% okay with that. But I have to be true to my heart. Right? I have to be true to to my spirit. I have to be true to what I believe. Um, God is like, I don't know how to say it, but like prodding and pushing in me. And I'm going to tell you something. I, yet again, I want you to know this. When Leah came forward to give her testimony, and I've been talking about this multiple times. I want you to think about this. When Leah came forward to give her testimony, I want you to know something. I knew she was going to come forward one day. I didn't know it was going to be that day. If any of you talk to my brother, you'll, you'll find out that he didn't even know it was going to be that day. Because the one thing he kept telling me was, I would have dressed nicer if I knew we were going to be up here in front of everybody. That's my brother. Okay? And here we are the very next week. And we're talking about this. And I'm telling you, as I'm studying this, there is so much to me that made me think of my sister-in-law. I'm just telling you the truth. What she said, her experience through her, through her furnace, if you will, through her test by fire, what she said sounds a whole lot like this to me. It defies logic. It makes no sense unless you have faith. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is going through, except for he's not listening to someone give their testimony. He's watching it with his own eyes. It's playing out in front of him. And it doesn't make any sense. They're walking around in the fire, guys. And there was three that went in, but there's four in there. And then he says this, and this is the part that really stands out. Well, obviously they're not hurt. Amazing. They're not hurt. They're walking around. They're unbound. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now I went and actually deep dove on this. When Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's seen a son of the gods, what does that mean? Now I understand the foreshadow and I understand if you want to make this um, um, Jesus in the furnace, I'm actually not, not going to argue with you. Because I think the Bible is written in certain ways to reveal certain things. And if that's your faith, I'm not going to argue with you on that. But what did Nebuchadnezzar see in his mind that would have made him think, son of the gods? He saw an image of something that revealed, hear me out, go look at what the Babylonians would have called a son of the gods that looked human but had traits that were only found in the gods. Looked human but had traits that were only found in the gods. For example, what is God? He's light. 
What did this fourth being look like? It looked like a human that potentially, this is my guess, you can make your own guess, that's fine. But he's a human that is lit, lit up. In the spirit of Christmas, like your house at night, lit up. He looks clearly different than the other three in a way that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes him to be something that is godly. So Nebuchadnezzar, he comes down to the fiery furnace. And I love this part. He just starts talking to them. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Oh, and then he says this again. This line, this is the line he said to Daniel last week. This is the line he said we discussed a little bit last week. He said, servants of the most high God. The most high God. Again, you can translate that servant of the most high God, or you can translate that servants of the God of Zion. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And all those officials, all those government officials, notice, notice. This is one of the things I wanted to point out earlier, but I, I messed up, so we're going to get it now. Notice that as he's naming all these positions, who's missing? The Chaldeans. Well, why are the Chaldeans missing? Because they weren't a government position, they were a people. That's what I want you to see. They were a people. From the earliest moment in scripture that we talk about the Chaldeans, they are a people. Abraham, Abram, from the land of Ur, home of the people, the Chaldeans. All right, remember that. We're going to play with them at some point in time. I'm just, I got to warm you up enough so you don't look at me like I got a third eye when we go there. And this is what they notice. The fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Okay, we, we got that from the first image, right? But think about this. The hair of their head was not singed. Anybody accidentally burn their hair before playing with fire? Do you have to actually be in the fire to burn your hair? No! No. In fact, normally when you're playing with the fire, now maybe you don't camp as much or, or go outdoors and play with fire as much as I have in my life. I'll admit there was a time where me and a bunch of the kids in the youth group, when I had my old little John boat, we'd go over to an island, we'd set up a fire on the island, and we'd fish for several hours regularly. And some nights, during those nights, I might be playing with the fire a little bit too close to the fire while, it's getting, while we're pumping it up especially on cold nights. And you know how I knew I'd burn myself? You know how I knew my, I'd singed my hair? Because I could smell it. That's right. That's the first. That, and then you look down and you're like, oh, that's cute. Right? Guess I don't have to trim my arm hairs for another few weeks. Their hair was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. Their clothes weren't even burned up. It's, it's not like... Okay, so their bonds were burned up, but their cloaks weren't. Isn't that interesting? And there's no smell of fire that had come upon them. Now, I don't know about you again, but if you spend any time near a fire, how many days does it take for that stuff to get out your hair? And, and for ladies, it's ten times worse because you have longer hair usually, right? For guys, it's, I'll, I'll just be honest, it usually takes, especially if you spend any time around it, it usually takes let alone being in it, it usually takes a couple days before you get out of the shower not smelling that smoke every time you're washing your hair. These are normal responses to fire that they do not exude. It's, it's a miracle. Some of you are like, well, duh. We got that from the original response of Nebuchadnezzar. They're in a fire and they're walking around on it. 
But it's like they weren't even affected. It's like they weren't even around it. It's almost like, even though Nebuchadnezzar could see them, they were with God in a different place. Even though they were with God in the fire as well. It's very interesting. Again, what's your response if you're Nebuchadnezzar? What's your response if you're the Chaldeans that called them out and put them into this mess? What's your response if you're the government officials that have witnessed this and now are experiencing it to this level? What's your response? Does it change your life? Is this a life-changing moment? Don't you think this is a life-changing moment? I think it's insanely, to use a, kid of the word, a word of the kids, insanely life-changing. Does it change Nebuchadnezzar's response? Yes and no. Look what he says. Again, pay attention to the details. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, now he's seen, he's experienced. Oh, and by the way, you know what else is weird? Nebuchadnezzar, I didn't even point this out, but Nebuchadnezzar, he calls them and they just come out. They just come out. Just walk out of the furnace. Again, put yourself in that day. Put yourself in that scene. Put yourself in that moment. And really ask yourself this question. Would it have changed your life? See, to me, if I'm there, I can never see life the same way again. Because everything that the foundation of life has been taught to me and, and, and I've built on, it would have been changed in that moment. There's so much about that moment that you cannot just explain away. You just have to admit was a miracle. To the detail. So Nebuchadnezzar says, blessed be the God of who? <laughs> Not his. See that? The same God that told him his dream and interpreted it through Daniel, the same God that now has rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is still not his God. See it. It's a vital, 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 important information in the details. It's still not his God. And he says this, who has sent his angel and delivered his Servants. Now, some people will take that statement and say, see, you wanted to be Jesus, but it's an angel. Yet again, angels, messenger of God. Jesus was certainly a messenger of God. I'll, I'll give everybody that. The reality is, I don't, I don't know who the fourth person was. I can't tell you with 100% certainty. But whatever it was, whether it's Jesus or an angel, was certainly from heaven. And in my opinion, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were certainly having a very godly experience. So he says, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. You know what he's seeing that's different about these Jews, if you will? These Jews that he's brought to Babylon versus all the other people that have made their way into that court and that are counseling him. Oh, oh, by the way, wasn't it Nebuchadnezzar that called out the Chaldeans last week? Wasn't he the one that said, I know you're going to give me bad advice. I know you're going to lead me the wrong direction. I know you're applauding against me. Wasn't it him that said that? But he listens to him in this moment. Hard to get rid of them old things, man. It is hard to break away from the world. And those of us who have been walking in Christ for a long time, we know the world still got a hold of us in certain ways. We still do worldly things at times, whether we want to or not. 
Paul himself admitted that multiple times through Scripture. It's something that is hard to break free from. And, and I want you to see that Nebuchadnezzar, he is intellectually having that same moment. But the thing that he's impressed with was this. He's seeing something different from them than anybody else. These guys are willing to die for their God and their belief. They're willing to. Everybody else crumbles and runs under the threat of death. Hey, if you guys don't figure out my dream and interpret it, you're all going to die. Daniel says, give me some time. I'll go talk to God. We'll figure it out. Give me some time. Maybe God will reveal it to me. But if you kill me, it's not going to happen at all. All the rest of the guys are like, well, we're doomed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, probably not going to make it out of the furnace. In fact, actually, that's not what they say. I'm sorry. They say he's able and he will. But even if he doesn't. Very different responses. That's what he's seeing here. And it makes a profound impact on him. But see, he still lives in the land where there is many gods, and this is just one. It might be the greatest of all of them, but it is still just one. And right now, he's not really ready to claim it as his own. But he does say something exceptional. He says, therefore, I make a decree. Any people, listen to these things, any people, nation, or language, who do you think he's talking to? The Chaldeans, that's right. That's what I think. They are a people. At one point in time, they certainly were a nation. Now, in my opinion, they're based on history. They're the elites of Babylon, and some of them become the kings of Babylon. And actually, several other um, parts of the statue are, would, would go back to the Chaldeans if you want to, if you want to go there. But they are, remember, they are teaching them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Any language, anybody who speaks, it doesn't matter who it is, what they are, and what they're saying. If they speak against anything that the God of, that my God, that the God most high that I now know is the one true living God. Nope. That the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says they're going to be torn limb from limbs and their house is laid in ruins for there is no other God. Man, he's so close, isn't he? He's so close, but he just, just can't say it all the way. He just can't say it yet. It's all right there. You could say he sees the writing on the wall, but we're not to that part of Daniel yet. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Daniel gets promoted, and now his three friends have been promoted twice. And you know who's probably sitting at home fuming about it? The Chaldeans. So, I got two take-homes. The first one is this, and I don't want you to miss this. I want you to see the amazing challenge of the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were willing to die for their belief they were willing to die for their belief. And the last thing they were willing to do at all on this earth, in fact, they just weren't willing to do it at all, is really the way I should say it, is worship the image or worship any foreign God because they knew that they served the one true living God. They knew it. In a time where their people were just decimated and taken captive. But they knew that long before it ever happened because the prophets had been warning them for years, for generations. I often think in my own life, and I, and I want to ask you this question because this is the challenge to me. I want to ask you, if it was life and death for you, would you serve the false gods to save your life? Or would you go in faith expecting God deliver, to deliver you, but even if he doesn't? That's the challenge of the testimony. And number two, I want you to see that there is awesome power 
And you know, sometimes we, um, we say this, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know if we grasp the reality that God still works today all the time. Like sometimes you have to have that moment, just like I said with, for me, like recently, it, it was my sister-in-law. Like I know God worked. I saw God work. I saw it. And I'm going to give glory to God for the rest of my life because I saw it. Okay? I'm not saying I saw God's hand reach down and touch Leah. What I'm saying is I saw my prayers getting answered in real time. I saw our prayers getting answered in real time. I watched it happen. Like I told you, the most profound thing that was said in my experience was when the doctor came to us after the second heart attack, after she had flatlined, after they had shocked her back to life like she was talking about. The most profound experience was when he said to us, we've done everything we can do. All that's left is prayer. And from that moment on, she got better. Now, one of the things she didn't tell you, and this is the last thing I'll say for tonight, but one of the things she didn't tell you is this. There was an experience that happened. After they shocked her back to life, after God brought her back to life, there was an experience that happened. You see, she began to write on my brother's stomach. Okay? And she was writing clear, listen to me, clear directions of what was going on in her body. Okay? She told everybody that she needed to get to Advent now. And she was asking, where's the helicopter? What? Okay? She told everybody, and we're going to go over, but I've got to share this with you. I've been waiting for her to come up so I can start talking to y'all. She told us that her spleen was ruptured. That had just happened with the paddles. She told us that she couldn't feel her legs. Okay? She's writing all this down. Now I want you to know, as she's writing it down, my brother's trying to read it backwards, and he is messing up. And she is giving us the typical Leah faces that she makes when she is playing around. I want you to know this. I need you to know this. She is giving us the, like, come on. How can you be so dumb? Looks. As we're messing up. All right? She explains in detail what's going on. I just want you to understand this. And she has no memory of that. She was still, just to come back to here, she was still in the furnace. She was still in that moment with God. She was not in the hospital. And as far as she's concerned, God, just like we're going to read about here in the near future where the hand comes out and writes on the wall, telling you, it's crazy. She is convinced that God was the one writing those instructions for us. It wasn't her. There is amazing, awesome power in faith, trust, and dedication. And let me tell you something. I'm not the most dedicated. Do you understand? I don't believe it's my fervency and my unbelievable relationship with God that made him listen to my, my prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is amazing power, even in our weakness, even in our crooked walks, even in our mistakes and our bad choices, even in, at times, flat out our unfaithfulness. There is still amazing power in faith, trust and dedication to God. But sometimes, even with all that going for you, you might just get led into the furnace. In fact, I think we all do because God's furnace is a refining fire. But remember this, even when you're going through it and life is heating up, He is always with you. And he will never abandon you. Where are you at tonight? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood, received the gift of the Holy Spirit? I'm looking out and I see 
I think all of us have. Are we living that faith? Are we living in that trust in God? Are we dedicated to His will? Even if it doesn't play out the way we think it should. Where are you at tonight? If there's a need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing. Just a few reminders before we close. First of all, uh, some things you might want to mark on your calendar. Our congregational fellowship will be on December 9th. The fellowship begins at 5.30 with dinner at 6 p.m. There's a sign-up list in the foyer. Also, the uh, party that we provide for the children and single adults at the Mount Dora Christian Home will be on December 16th. The wish list for the children and the adults is on the table in the foyer. If you'd like one, please pick one up. And for those of you that are in our senior adult group, your white elephant Christmas party is on December 7th. Please put those that you plan to attend on your calendar. We got word this afternoon that Georgia Smith has been moved to St. Francis and is placed on hospice. Uh, at this time, they request no visitors, but please pray for her peace. So please keep her in your prayers, as well as the family. John Larson uh, recently went to the Moffitt Center to try to determine some treatment options for him for the cancer around his eye. Uh, they haven't determined which one they're going to do, but uh, as you might expect, none of them are easy. So please keep John in your prayers as well. Thank you. If you're able and it's convenient, please stand. Oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder
As we close with this prayer this evening from such a powerful message, there's something at the end of that song that we just sang, humble adoration, the humility that makes it all work in the right way. Pray with me, please. Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege of being here to be able to learn and grow together to your name's honor and glory. Help us keep our perspective and our love focused in the right places in the right way. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.